We always like to finish out Monday's show here on the Radio Tab Breakfast Show with the Courier Mail's Chief Sports Writer in Robert Crash Craddock. And he's with us now. Crash, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. And uh, it's nice to be up and about after a pretty mid-morning finish watching the Curios match from start to finish. Well, Crasher, we've certainly had a, a big weekend, not just here at home in Australia, but all overseas. And we always start Monday with underrated and overrated. So where do you want to go? Underrated first? Underrated, yeah, Paul. Let's start with Nick Kyrgios's underhand serve, which he does. It's a bit of a trick shot, but gee, it's effective because it lures the opponent into the net and then he's immediately vulnerable. The shot's got no pace on it, so he can't clobber it. And I'm quite sure that uh, people sort of say, oh, it's a trick shot. Well, do you know what? Uh, I don't like that. I mean, players get applauded for a skillful drop volley, and yet that's considered a trick shot. I I think it's a terrific piece of work. The second underrated is, and this will sound ridiculous for a bloke that's just won his seventh Wimbledon title, but Novak Djokovic on grass. Uh, We tend to keep talking about him as the the hardcore specialist who's won, you know, uh, the Australian Open, is it nine times? But now he's won seven Wimbledon. And he, he is a master on grass who never quite gets the credit he deserves for being that. And um, just watching him last night, you know, the king of percentage play, doesn't go searching for the lines, searches for about a metre inside them. And just, you know, in the story last night, I said it was the magician versus the mathematician and the mathematician Djokovic. Hey, Paul, he just crunched the numbers. Crash, uh, I don't know whether you heard him post-match, but he was talking about his first foray into tennis and what he saw and the first thing he saw of tennis was Wimbledon on grass and he said that was the most enduring memory he has about first up seeing it and that's why this tournament is so special to him as you said seven times winner now the only one player who's won more is Roger Federer yeah yeah exactly and he's just watching him last night it was almost the epitome of his whole grass career he just he absorbed all of Kyrgios's big punches and and at times Kyrgios looked fresher more creative uh, more powerful uh, faster but he just sat there and just got everything back and I'm not sure he could actually read Nick Kyrgios's serve but he was just like he, he rode the rhythms of the game. I, I think that's that's how you would describe it. And just hung on to it for dear life when he was in trouble. And, um, you know, it was quite something. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And for people who didn't see it, you'll say, oh, yeah, Kyrgios lost in four sets. Well, you know, he unravelled late, but it was a very tight contest. And Djokovic has played Kyrgios in three games now, three, three matches, and now it's still only broken his serve twice. Crash... Are you allowed to bowl underarm in first-class cricket? Um, that's, I don't think you are. I think it's a consequence of the Treble Chapel delivery they outlawed it, yeah. Derek. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was part of the reason for asking it. I mean, that particular ball was a little bit different because it was a grubber. But uh, I'm not sure if you can't bowl underarm in cricket why you should be allowed to uh, do an underhand serve. Uh, I just think... Um, well, because it's part of your normal repertoire anyway. It's it's the way you swing the, uh, you know, it's the way you, you, you... Most shots are underarm in tennis, aren't they? Apart from yeah. the smashes. Yeah, so but... I, I think uh, it's fair enough. I, I love the... I, I do enjoy it. And I think with, with the power game in tennis now, players are standing so far back 
and and then um, some some try and, and buck the system by coming close to the baseline. But the ones who stand so far back, they're always ripe to have their pocket pick with that shot. And I have to say, I don't mind it. And Crash, yeah. it's not as if uh, Nick Kyrgios has invented it. Michael Chang used it with a great effect at the US Open many years yeah, ago. Yeah, he did. Well, a few and years he... ago, I should say. Yeah, it, it's a... Uh, and, and like uh, Kyrgios, Chang had, had both sides of his game. Good power and a, and a real soft touch with it too. And, and, and Kyrgios certainly had that last night. He actually played well. I mean, some of his drop shots were just honey-sweet under pressure. But uh, he came apart, and that's actually my overrated, guys, is the feeling that Nick Kyrgios's verbal explosions are part of his repertoire and almost gamesmanship and causing more damage to his opponent than, than uh, himself. Last night, it was an implosion. He hurt himself by going, whinging to his box, whinging to the umpire about the crowd. I tell you something, guys. It's a different vibe to Kyrgios whinging when he's playing number 25 in the world and distracting him and when he's playing one of the gods, and they're his words, Novak Djokovic of tennis, who just sits back and thinking, I've got this guy, he's cracking, I've just got him. In the same way that Tsitsipas was rattled by Kyrgios, Kyrgios was rattled by himself last night. And Djokovic just sat back and thought, I'm picking you apart thread by thread, pal. I'm just going to get everything back in. He's, and he's not going to change, Kyrgios. No, he's been he, doing he's it for not, too long. But, but, Jared, I've got to say this. There's a door opening for him. He's 27 years old. Rafa Nadal, uh, Rafa Nadal is 35 and, and more busted than we think he is. Djokovic is 35 and still a force, but he has to come to the end soon enough. Sorry, Nadal's 36. And Roger Federer turns 41 next month. I mean, mm. the, the, and, and the young players, I mean... Throw some names at me who who you think are going to take the title, you know? Well, you know, the, this has been the problem with tennis for the last oh, eight or nine years now. There's some of these youngsters come through, and Alcaraz was going to be the next big thing, but he sort of struggled the last two or three tournaments as well. But they just have trouble maintaining their consistency. Kyrgios has quite clearly shown on occasions, as we saw this week, he is capable of getting there all the way and perhaps winning... A major. It's a tremendous opportunity for him, but he's just got to get his head right. Oh, exactly. And it's for the last 20 years that path to Grand Slam glory has been, or 15 years, has been blocked by those three great players. But, you know, they're, they're, they're coming to the end. Guys like Alexander Zareb, you know, he's a fair player. He floats around, but he's beatable. You know, he, he's, you know, a lot of these guys have been floating around the top 10 for a while but struggle to take the last steps. And they all would fear Kyrgios. There's no doubt about that. Mm. But here's my question with him, Jared: Is he prepared to lead the boring lifestyle that you have to lead to be a top athlete? And everyone says, oh, it must be exciting being great like that. I tell you, the top ones often lead this monastic lifestyle where they watch their diet, their fitness, their exercise, the time they go to bed, their sleep patterns. Kyrgios said he did all that in the lead-up to this event. I know he became a vegan and was so worried about losing strength, he put uh, seafood in his diet to strengthen him up a bit. Now, that says to me the guy who's got his eye on the one percenters. It's a really good effort. But... Can he in keep that going? Because he is now a global superstar, a man of notoriety, a man in the black cape. You know, so he, he, he will have a new level of fame here. Can he deal with it? I do not know. He says he will. He says that 
losing Wimbledon will help him more than win winning it because he said, if I'd have won my heart's desire, I may never, uh, never have been hungry for anything ever again. Crash, what about the night before Saturday night, the women's final, Umzubair and Alina Rybakina? Rybakina looked as though when she'd won, she'd just won a first round match on a challenger tour. There was no emotion at all, and she said afterwards she just didn't know how to react. Everything was just totally beyond what she imagined. Yeah, great, uh, great observation, Paul. Rybakina, she. Uh, of course, she's Russian-born, Russian-raised, and they're banned from the tournament. But she, at, at age 18, she defected to Kazakhstan, didn't she? And uh, won what they call the Rent-a-Russian campaign, where they uh, they sponsor Russian athletes who don't look like making the grade in their homeland, which she didn't. Uh, but, yeah, isn't, isn't it funny when uh, a first-timer wins Wimbledon, they sort of float off onto a cloud, almost? It's the, the, the event they dream about. You mentioned Djokovic saying that it was the first thing that made him fall in love with tennis. And that centre court has a dreamy quality to it. So there was a certain numbness about her. It all came out in her post-match presser. She dissolved a little bit and said, well, here's the emotion you're after. I can feel it welling now. But, yeah, it was a, it was a good victory. I must admit, when I saw it... <laughs> I still thought Ash Barty in form would have, would have, would have <laughs> coped with her very nicely. I think a lot of yeah. Australians have been thinking the same thing, Crash. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. Well, the tournament, uh, there was nothing that happened in the women's tournament that would make you think that Ash Barty would not have been eyeball deep in it again had she not been retired. But she's a Wimbledon champion forever, and that's all you need. And I think that's the disappointing part about it being a tennis fan and an Ash Barty fan that, you know, she probably would have just gone on and won and won and won because, uh, well, it's not as bad as the men's, but there's been a few ladies coming through and, the, again, it's just the consistency that's the issue. Well, that's right. And uh, Barty held the world number one. It, it, with the world number one uh, changed hands like a relay baton before she got there and then she held it for three years or two and a half. So... But, you know, will we see her again? It'll be interesting. I, I mm. wonder what her emotions are. I know Ash is on her way to, to St Andrews this week to watch the British Open, and that's her bucket list item. She just wanted to see the British Open golf. And uh, I think she loves golf as much as she loves tennis, you know. So it'll be fascinating to see where she lands. But I've got her to return to tennis more out than in, more no than yes. Just talking to people around her, they just don't feel that the the time will ever be quite right. And you must remember this. She absolutely, truly loves her home city of Springfield. It's not like, you know, she's one of these lost and lonely tennis stars who's based in New York with not a lot of friends. She's, she immerses herself in home life and loves it. For nieces, nephew, everything. Well, we've seen images overnight playing St Andrews with Kevin Peterson crash. Yeah, oh, in the pro... Oh, isn't that great? Yeah, she... Uh, uh, and, 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 you know, the Icon series signed her up, Paul, and you mentioned it last week, of playing in America. They found it very difficult to find female celebrities with single-figure handicaps. Well, they oh, she's one of world. a kind, Crash. Yeah, she, she is. Just there there literally aren't is many one of, of them. No. Truly a global star. And, and she definitely held her own there uh, against the men. She was, And they all knew who she were, was. She's a three-time oh, yeah. Grand Slam champion. Now, Crash, um, the Brisbane Broncos yesterday... They had nine of their their top 17 missing, 13 from their squad of 30, either through injury or state of origin duties, and they really gave it to St George Illawarra. Have, have, yeah, they, have they turned mean, the corner there at, at oh, Red Hill? Oh, yeah. And look, credit to Kevin Walters. I just think, 
It's wins like yesterday's that define a club. When you shouldn't probably win, and, and you've got most of your stars out, and these kids that are sort of right on the fringe of selection to say, right, today is my day. And everything, all this momentum you've created, I'm going to continue it. And I, I, I you know, love some of the unheralded players like Kobe Hetherington. Now, Christian Welsh in a column for Code Sports named him as one of the most underrated forwards in the competition. Loves the energy with which he plays. You know, it's, it's you know, Tessie New played well. You know, but once again, Adam Reynolds at, at halfback, who was completely flattened in, the, in his first couple of times handling the ball in the most obvious game plan you've ever seen from the Dragons, knocked the playmaker on his backside, and uh, yet he just kept rolling. And, and I think what Reynolds has given to that club, whether he misses games, I don't think it matters because he's unlocked something within them, that confidence, that composure. And uh, at, at 800 grand a year, he has been the signing of the competition, I think, and we, the way the Broncos are going, look, they're only two points out of second place, two points plus percentage. You know, I mean, it's incredible. There was a big win, but gee, they're a poor side, St George. Yeah, they, 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 Phil Rothfield earlier in the season just called them the bargain basement club of the, like everyone's a second chance guy there. Like, uh, you know, Jack Bird was cast off from the Broncos and, and, and all those players... You know, they just they came from somewhere else with a bad rap, a lot of them, and uh, or, or were struggling at, at their former club, and so they've been built uh, from the bargain basement shop, and the fact that they they float around eighth spot is is a real indictment on the teams below them in the competition. Crash, we saw celebrations from the Brisbane Broncos Premiership of 1992, thirtieth year anniversary what could the current crop of players learn from those guys do you think well i love the fact that those guys you know team spirit has gone out the door in a lot of rugby league clubs where players just take the best offer and go but they had a certain spirit about them that 92 team and it was evident there at their reunion they started off at the pato tavern they moved their way to suncorp but all those guys like kevin walter as Kerrid walters steve renoff alan langer uh, Terry Madison, Chris Johns, they're still mates, you know, late in life. And, and the other thing is, I also think it's it's good when the Broncos buy locally. Now, sure, Chris Johns came from St George and Kerry Madison, Terry Madison came from the Roosters, but a lot of the early Broncos success was built on Queensland-based products from guys who genuinely, genuinely wanted to play for the Broncos. Now, they... they and I'm sure there's a lot of kids in, in Brisbane that still idolise the Broncos and want to play for him. So this is where this little form surge is good. Brisbane, again, is a destination club. We saw it last week, um, you know, well, um, you know, with Reese Walsh returning to the club. He could have gone to the Dolphins. He could have gone to other clubs. No, he wanted to get home to Brisbane for family reasons, but was very happy to rejoin the Broncos. What about uh, Queensland now? Are they gone? Can they still win? <laughs> well, I tell you what, I think they've got to come up with something a bit special to win Wednesday night. We all love the Maroon Passion, but when Cam Munster withdrew, 
Well, we, oh, it's just uh, with COVID, I just thought, you know, we just look to him for so much, Jared. The, yeah. the only thing Queensland's got going for this match is the suggestion that they can't win. That what have you got up, Jared? Would it be three dollars fifty or something three, like that? Three thirty, or you can have nine and a half start at a dollar ninety. So it's a big well, price. Yeah, it is at Suncorp Stadium, where they've won, where they've been unbeaten in ten out of the last twelve deciders. I mean, that's mm. about as, as outside as you get for a Queensland team. Look, they'll uh, they just have to start well. They, I, I just. That's one thing. I just can't see them mowing this New South Wales team down. They've got to get ahead of them and hang on for dear life. <laughs> Crash, yeah. uh, we've gone through the scores a couple of times this morning from the second test over in Sri Lanka. Australia dominated on day one with the bat, but ever since day two, they've really fallen away. They didn't finish out their first innings particularly well, and it was probably Pat Cummins's toughest day as captain in the field yesterday in this brief captaincy career? Oh yeah, well they used up all their reviews and then had a court behind decision go against them where they had no reviews left off Mitchell Stark. Alex Carey missed three stumpings uh, of three different degrees of hardness one was relatively easy, one was mid-range and one was just really crazy difficult but that is a lot of stumpings for a keeper to miss I'd loved his work in the first test and I built him up so big on your show now he's had a bad day it can happen over there the Sri Lankan keeper Dick Weller has also missed quite a few chances but this is interesting you know 60 odd runs behind and they've still got four wickets left if that lead gets up to over 100 Australia gee they've got some trucking to do to, to get out of this test never mind win it so um I sort of thought the spinners would dominate, I have to say that, whereas Nathan Lyon is taking, what, two for 160, Swepson two for 90. The wicket just hasn't really deteriorated. The spin's been very predictable. It hasn't been crumbly like the first uh, test, which was at the same venue. And also, it's fascinating, with Sri Lanka in a civil crisis protesters outside the game, uh, ground, they can hear the trumpets and the sounds of protest wafting across the ground. I wonder whether their mind's really on the job, Paul. It, it, the presidential palace was stormed in Colombo. Uh, protesters swimming in the president's pool yesterday. I mean, all that sort of stuff can be unsettling to, 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 to cricketers. What's your thoughts? Well, it has to play some impact. If you don't see what's happening, but you can hear all that outside, you've got to have it in the back of your mind, you know, asking yourself what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought the same thing. And uh, I, I, I do like seeing a team under pressure because you find out their fibre. It, it just say they're 120 behind on the first innings. Well, you make one false move and you're in serious drive. If their spinners can have a little little run of form, you know, you, you've got problems. But... Uh, um, so I'll be fascinated to see how they play this second innings. It looked like there were more people outside of the ground watching the cricket on that little mound than what there was inside. Yeah, they did. And that's the thing, because people can't afford the price of admission. I mean, they're desperate over there. They had a a, uh, a team dinner the other night and they booked the hotel and then the ho- the restaurant rang up and said, look, we don't know whether we can host you because after 8.30, we, we're expecting the power to go off. So unless you're in and out really quickly, we, we can't have you. So at every turn, they are being acquainted with uh, the impoverishment of, of a, basically a, a country whose financial system has collapsed. 
Crash, we've only got about two minutes till uh, yeah, the end of the show, so 60 seconds or less. How good were the Suns on Saturday? Oh, it was exquisite, wasn't it? The, the, the so goal after the siren and just to see the euphoria of, of the crowd. You know, I love the way... I mean, this is the end of a five-year plan that Stuart Jew put into place, and they never work at battling clubs. They're, they're often they're a, a way of, of, of putting sort of, uh, um, you know, your anguish in, in a cupboard for a few years and trying to buy yourself time, but they've rebuilt. They've lost great players like Tom Lynch, and uh, they just keep coming back. It was just lovely to see him front and centre. And the talk of the AFL world, it was... Uh, it was, a, it was a brilliant, brilliant performance by the Suns. And uh, it, it's so sad they're not two wins up the ladder so they could make the eight. But uh, this is progress of a spectacular kind. Always a pleasure, Crash. We'll chat to you later in the week. State of Can't Origin, wait. Game 3. My pleasure. Thanks. See you then, guys.